You're listening to audio from One Church of High Point. If you'd like more resources or would like to donate, visit onechurchnc.net. Shaking in the gospel, shaking of your faith that you cannot predict. Oh, oh, the the writer of of 2 Timothy writes chapter 3, verse 12, he says this, yes, everyone who wants to live godly life for Christ will suffer persecution. That's a guarantee. See, Christianity may not be popular in some countries or it may not be popular in your communities, but I promise you, if you raise the flag of a believer, there will be some shaking taking place. Oh, but we have a promise. We have a promise that the Bible repeats itself over and over again. We have a promise that God tells us. That promises that God is with us. That promises that when you go through waters, that he's with you, that when you walk through the floods, that he is right there with you. Even when you walk through the fire, God is with you. He says that he would be with you to the ends of the earth. That he would never leave you nor forsake you, even while you're being shooken. One of the most repeated verses in the Bible, one of the most repeated concepts in the Bible is where God reminds us to not be afraid. He reminds us not to be afraid. From Genesis to Revelation, we can, we can recount um, scripture after scripture where he tells us, don't be afraid. Abraham is leaving his family in his father's house. God tells him, don't be afraid. When God says Moses to Pharaoh, he said, you know what? When you approach Moses, don't be afraid. Even when Ezekiel goes to the Israelites, he tells them not to be afraid. Even when Nehemiah stands on the wall, he says, don't be afraid. Even when the children of Israel, he tells them not to be afraid. As Joshua succeeds Moses as a leader, he began to take the children to the promised land. He said, you know what? Moses, my servant, is dead, but you go ahead. But when you go, don't be afraid. When the angel comes to Bethlehem, tells Zechariah, Mary, and Joseph, he said, you know what? Don't be afraid. When Jesus walks on water and calls out the disciple to come out on the water, and he gets out of the boat, he says, don't be afraid. There's some shaking taking place in your life. And I'm just here today to remind you not to be afraid. When you're tested about your faith, don't be afraid. Don't apologize for it. When Jesus meets the first eyewitnesses after his resurrection, he tells them, don't be afraid. God sent me to remind you today, my family, don't be afraid of the shaking of your faith, of the trying of your faith, because we know the author of James writes, you know, that the testing and the trying of your faith will produce, was it perseverance? When the storms come, don't be afraid. Even when you have more questions than you have answers, guess what, church? Don't be afraid. 
We don't know when your next paycheck is not going to come. Just don't be afraid. We don't know how to pay that next bill. Don't be afraid. We don't know what to do. Don't be afraid because we serve a God. I serve a God. Our church serve a God where he tells us that he is with you. Don't be afraid. God tells Timothy, his disciple, his protege, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but the power of love and a sound mind. I begin to ask myself, why does the scripture tell us not to be afraid more than anything else? More than anything, what he teaches about marriages, more than anything, he talks about discipleship more than anything else. He tells us not to be afraid because I just have the belief that God knew what we were going to be walking through after the resurrection. He knew what we would encounter week after week, day after day, month after month, the trials and the situations that we may encounter. He knew that we needed something to remind us not to be afraid, to hold fast to our faith, to hold fast to what God has told us, to hold fast to the calling of Jesus Christ upon your lives. Don't be afraid. And so church today, as we lift up our key scripture for our focus passage today, it will come out of the book of Job out of the 13th chapter and just out of reverence for God's written and spoken word. Let's just, let's stand up as a family. Amen. Let's stand up as a family. One verse, two points and a three piece dinner. I'm going to be gone. Amen. Job chapter 13 Verses 15, part A, this is what the word of God says. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Amen, church, that's it. You can have a seat. That's it. Job writes in chapter 13, verse 15, part A, he says, though he slays me, Yet, or therefore, I will trust him. So if, you, if you're taking notes, the title of my sermon is Relationship 101. Relationship 101. Today we start into a new sermon series. Last month we talked about discipleship and how God has called our church to be the year of discipleship for the next two to three years. And so to, to, to really just shift from discipleship, I believe it's just, it's really important to really hone in what discipleship and relationship really, how that works together. Because you can't have one without the other. And so relationship one-on-one, so if you haven't gone to college or you haven't taken any college courses, typically when you have a 100 class, those are baseline, you know, baseline level classes, right, church? Like it's not in the 500 or the 400s, you're, the one-on-ones and the 90s are, those are our baseline classes. So today, guys, this is foundational. And I want us to understand that this right here, this is where we build our, our, our lives, our gospel, our theos, our theology off of more than anything else. Relationship. 101. This is what we're going to talk about today. The relationship with Jesus Christ is more important than anything else 
in this world. Throughout the month, we're going to talk about having a relationship with your spouse and with your kids. And we may even begin to talk about dating and all the other things, those benefits, you know, friends with benefits. Amen, church? We're going to talk about all of that. But before we get to that, I want to just lay the most important foundation. The foundation is Christ. Cornerstone in Christ alone. Right? Without that cornerstone, we can't do anything else. And so this is what you build everything off of. This is Jesus himself. Scripture says, though he slay me. Now, let's, let's put that scripture back up on the screen real quick. Let's, let's just read the first three words. What is the church? Read it out. There's a remedial section right up front right here at church, you know. <laughs> I'm just, no, nah, I'm just joking. I've been there too. I, I sit right there, so I'm, Martin, you know. Let's, let's look at this. Let's look at this, church. Though he, what's different about that? Shh. But you're right. Though he, that's not a typo. That is a capital H. And what does that mean? He's talking about God. He's talking about Jesus Christ and the Holy. He's talking about the Trinity, right? He's talking about Jesus Christ, God, the Father, Holy Spirit. Though he slay me. And because we see the capital H, we have to begin to understand that anytime we see a capital G or capital H or even an H for, for his, we have to begin to reference that this is when he's talking about Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi. He's talking about God. So when you're reading your Bibles, when you're studying and you see a capital letter like this, you have to begin to know that you know that he's talking about God and no one else. That makes a difference. Because I, I guarantee you there's some people who read this passage of scripture and they see this. Though he, and they're going to say, uh, it's the devil. They think, we think sometimes that the enemy is slaying me. Nah, boo-boo, you got it wrong. This has been ordained by God. Though he. Okay, let me, let me move on for a second. Let me, let me put it to you this way. If he prescribed it, he will provide for it. If God allows it, God has anointed it. Come on, church, if you get it, I don't have to preach his heart. If God spoke it, he sanctified it. So you, you're telling me if God prescribed it, he would provide for it. If he allowed it, he has anointed it. And if he spoke it, it's sanctified? Yes. And because it's sanctified, we have to begin to know that in, in, in the original understanding of sanctification in this text, it means that it is God ordained. It is designed on purpose by God. Mm. We all know the story about Job of her some form or fashion of Job, right? We know the story, Job. Job is faced with disaster, disease, and death. 
in one lifetime. Come on, church. Disaster, disease, and death. He sees this in one year of his life. Job chapter 1 outlines where the devil is going to and fro, seeking someone that he can devour, right? <clears throat> ah, I got some. He's going to and fro. He's looking for someone. Y'all seen that person, right? You ever had that high school bully just walking around looking for somebody to pick on? He's just looking. Just, he's like, okay, he can roll up on somebody. Like, okay, what's up? Y'all know what that looks like, right? Uh-oh, pray for you. <laughs> going around looking for somebody where he can cause havoc. The angels and have a conversation with him and God and God's like, what's up? What are you doing? He had the audacity to tell God, I'm walking around in your land that you created in the midst of your children <coughs> that's made in the image of God like him. Looking for someone where he can reap havoc. And guess what God does? He offers Job. God offers Job to be tormented, tortured from disaster, death, and disease. God, let me just make a public service announcement. I don't need you to, you know, volunteer me for any of that right now. Right? Like, I, Jesus, I can get in all the trouble myself. I don't, I don't need extra. I don't need you offering me into. But if God, preside, if, if God has prescribed it, he provided, right? He, if God allows it, he, it's anointed. If God has spoken, it's sanctified. So God offers Job as an instrument to be used. Of faith. You would think at some point Job would give up on God. God gives the enemy one, not prerequisite, one, one caution and one, one thing that he cannot do. He said, you can do whatever you want to do to Job, but you can't kill him. That was a bet. I'm, I'm game. Let's do it. The devil has hit him with death, disaster, and disease. My first point is this. Relationships requires that you die. Relationships requires that you die. Let me just bring some context. It requires that you die to yourself. You can't help be changed when you're in a relationship. You cannot help to be changed if you're in a, uh, a, a mutual relationship, right? I'm not talking about transactional relationship because if it's transactional, then it's, you know, you get what you need and you're gone. But if there's mutual culpability, if there's mutual interest, if there's a mutual agreement, partnership, 
two things can't come together and remain the same. Come on, church. You can't have an encounter with Christ and you're here and you come together and remain the same. There's, there's no way possible. Your relationship with Christ should challenge us and ultimately should change us. Your relationship with God should not only challenge you, but it should change you. Scripture says, though he slay me, yet I will trust God. So when I don't understand God, I trust him. When it doesn't make sense, I trust him. No matter what happens, I will trust him. When the unexpected happens, I will trust him. When my prayers don't add up to my petitions, I will trust him. No matter what I go through with Christ, I will trust him. The Aramaic word for slay means to cut off. It means to put to death. It means to kill, to slay. So when I'm with Christ and we come into a relationship together, there's some things that he wants us to cut off. He, there's some things that he wants us to slay. There's some things that he wants us to kind of strip apart, strip away from our natural desires that does not line up with him. Let, let me put it to you this way, church. Whatever has your attention will ultimately have your actions and your attitude. Let me say that again. Whatever or whoever has your attention will have your actions and your attitude. And so if I begin to read and look at the, the scriptures and I study it, I begin to really just embrace what God is saying to us here in, in the Bible, then my attitude, my actions should follow. Okay, let me, let me put it to you in 1977 version. Birds, birds of a feather, what? Fly together. You are what you eat. Right? Junk in, junk out. Scripture in, scripture out. See, Job wasn't focused on what he lost. He remained focused on God the entire time. But what, what if I don't have faith like Job? You know, Job was one of those, you know, he made it to the Bible. I just made it to, you know, in heaven by the, you know, smoking. Like still on fire, you know, just stop dropping. Rope. You barely made it into heaven. Amen. Thank God for you. But I don't have the faith of Job. Okay, yes, you do. Because scripture tells us that everybody has a measure of faith. So you can't say you don't have the faith of Job and God gave you a measure of faith and that's all you need. And actually, that's, that's an overflow. But if you're taking notes, let me just give you some faith scriptures along the way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. I'm a, I'm a, I have several scriptures I'm going to reference. For we live by faith and not by sight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It is without faith. It is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
Mark chapter 9, verse 23 says, if you, if you can believe, all things are possible for those who believe. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall what? Direct. My point number two is this. Relationships require that you trust. Relationships require that you die. And part two is relationships require that you trust. Though he slay me, yet I will trust. And I get it. We'll get to this point later on, you know, um, and more or less about marriages and where what, what do you do when that, that trust factor is, is hemorrhage, is, is broken? How do you navigate through that? Keep on trusting. It's messy, but keep on trusting. Though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. See, I begin to look at the scriptures, and I, I go back and reflect to um, Job chapter 7. I begin, like, did, did Job not question God in all of this? Like, like, all of this is taking place. Let me just give you a roadmap of what's, what's taking place with Job, because Job had a hard life. Let me just, I'm going to read Job chapter 1. I'm going to tell you what has happened to Job, because Job ultimately lost a lot. It says this. Job chapter one, there was once a man named Job who lived in the land of us. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared and stayed away from the evil. He has seven sons and three daughters. That's 10 kids. Oh my gosh. 10. That's a ministry for you, brother. Amen. He owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen. 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. Job's sons would turn, um, turns uh, preparing feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters over to celebrate with them. But it says this, he got up early in the morning and a burnt offering for each of them. And Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned against and cursed God in their hearts. Then we'll go down and we'll see this. Job loses all of his cattle. He loses the donkeys, the sheep. Scripture says that a field caught fire and burned up all the sheep. That's a good barbecue right there, church. He lost the camels, the donkeys. He lost the servants. And what happened while he was recanting the story, as, as things was taking place, one of his servants will, will tell him, like, you know, master, we just lost all of our camels. And another servant said, even those who was with them, they were lost. And then another servant will come, Master, we just lost the field of sheep and all of that other stuff. Then another servant will come, Master, we just lost all the donkeys. And guess what? Master, all of your children have died. Somehow the house imploded and, and fallen, you know, and caved into itself. And then everyone died, but I survived, so I can tell you what has happened. He lost his lineage. He lost everything. But I love, I love Job. He says this. 
after he lost all that he had, he tells the last servant who came in and told him that he lost his family and his kids, seven sons, three daughters. He said this, I came naked with my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. That, that might not be my testimony. I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm losing all my cattle. I'm losing all of my children. And my response to the loss within hours, naked I came into this world and naked I shall leave. That may not be my testimony. I might be a little upset with God, right? Amen. Amen. But Job recounts this because I begin to, at some point, like, did Job ever question God about what has happened? I would be like, God, why me? Why have thou forsaken me? Job says this in Job chapter 7, verse 15 and 16. I would rather be strangled, rather die than suffer like this. He says, I hate my life and I don't want to go on living. Oh, leave me alone for my few remaining days. At this point, Job is, has a disease, has boils and all of that. I mean, he's, he's hurting. He's lamenting. He says in verse 15, actually 16, he said, I hate my life. Have you ever been there where you just hated your life? Have you ever been there where you just said, I'd just rather die than suffer? Come on, church, have you ever been there before? I know I've been there before. Like, God, I just, just take me out. Because to be absent in the body, be present with my Lord and Savior. I know where I'm going. I would rather go be, be before the Lord, my God, my Savior, than go through all of the stuff that I've been going through. Have you ever been in a place where you're just, just tired, where you're done? Verse 19 says this, God, why won't you leave me alone? At least long enough for me just to Catch my breath. Then he says, God, if I have sinned against you, he said, what have I done to you for you? Pretty much you created humanity. What have I done to you to put me in this situation where I am taking all of this grief in? God, why not just forgive my sin and take away my guilt? For soon I will lie down in the dust and die. When you look for me, I'll be gone. God doesn't answer Job's question until 31 chapters later. He poses this question, God, why and how? Why is this taking place with me? God leaves him open for 31 chapters. Doesn't say a word and explain to anything. My grandmother used to say, he may not come when you want him, but he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. God may not come when you want him, but I promise you, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. The Aramaic word for trust is yachal. And this 
One word is represented 41 times in the Old Testament alone by itself. The root of trust in this original context means to wait. Though he slay me, yet I trust in him. This word means to wait, to be patient, to, to hope, to, to, to tarry, to trust. So what you telling me is this, like I, though he slay me, yet I will wait for the Lord. Though he slay me, I will tarry for the Lord. Though he slay me, I will have hope in the Lord. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I believe that my waiting is greater than my worry. That my waiting is greater than my worry. That even though I may be slain, I shall trust in him. I'm going to give you, we're talking about why right now. And oftentimes we as, as teachers of the gospel, we, we tell you the why, but we don't tell you the how. Like how do you begin to address this part right here? How do you begin to address the waiting, the tarrying, the, you know, the yet part, the yet Will I trust him? How do, you, how do you do that? How do you begin to really truly trust in God? I'm gonna give you five, five quick points. Five quick things to help grow your relationship with God. Because this is relationship one-on-one, right? So this, this is just foundational. There, there are other things that we can add to those. Technically, we can write 25 or 30, but I'm just gonna give you my, my top five real quick. First one is this, read your Bible. That's deep, right? That's why I went to seminary, Amen. Graduating magnum cum laude, amen? That's real truth, though. I did graduate magnum cum laude. I'm just letting you know. Went to school to learn that all you have to do is read your Bible. Man, growing up, I love, um, you know, I love school, you know, just because of social, you know, kind of interact with other people. But, man, when we were growing up, man, there's this thing that were, I, I didn't like math too much. You know, I was more like science and, you know, kind of like, History and things like that, but math was probably the worst subject that I, I, I love. I love woodshop. They ain't do woodshop these days anymore. I tell you how old I am, amen. But um, one of the things that we growing up in, we used to get books handed out to us. And, you know, for the beginning of the year, you have to write your name in the book and then you turn the book back in. Do they still do that this time? Oh, okay, see. But one of the things that we used to do in our books, and I struggled, I, I realized at some point that Man, if you flip to the back of the book, guess what's back there? The answers to the questions in the book. Man, I became a straight A student quick. Amen? Right? All I had to do is to flip to the back of the book to get the answers. Right? Church, if you, if you read between the lines, you'll get it. All you have to do is flip to the book. Flip to the book to get the answers. Whatever you're dealing with, go to the book. Whatever you're faced with, go to the book. Whatever is testing you and trying you, go to the book. Whatever you want God to measure your life against, go to the book. Whatever your theos may be, measure it against the book. 
If I would have known that all I had to do was flip to the back of the book to get the answers, then I would have probably been a straight A student often. But you know, I have sayings, dusty Bibles, dirty Christians. If your Bible is dusty, then you're probably crusty. <laughs> right, church? Five things to grow your relationship with God. First thing is this, read your Bible. Second thing is this, pray. Prayer is you talking to God. David declares in Psalms that, though I have hidden the word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And basically what, what I want to kind of point out, the reason why I say praise is this, because if you read the Bible and you pray, that oftentimes when you come into a situation in your life and you just don't know what to do, guess what? You can read God's word and pray God's word. There's nothing else better to do is to pray God's word back to him. He want his children to recant his word back to him. He want his children to, to tell him about the promises that he left him. Pray God's word. And, you know, that means that if we pray in God's word, that we have to commit some, some words to our memory. And it's just not Jesus wept. Amen. You, you need more than that. Because when life is life in, you have to know that all things work together for the good, right? For those who love the Lord. When your timing doesn't match up with God's timing, then you have to know that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, right? Get some scripture in your memory so you can pull it out when it's time. Put some scripture in reserve because I promise you, if you keep running on empty, guys, you're not going to go anywhere. Fill it up. Fill it up, church. When your faith is being tested and people are contending the gospel Proudly say Romans 116, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power to those who bring power of God for salvation, the power of love with those who believe, first Jew and then Gentile. Point number three is this. Read your Bible, pray. Third one is serve. Guys, there's a benefit of serving in God's house right? That's why we have it a part of our missional values, because Jesus himself took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, got down on his knees right before he was going to be crucified, kneeled before his disciples and washed their feet. All of them, even that Judas. And he knew that he betrayed him. Jesus is telling you, wash the feet of those who betray you. Wash the feet of those who talk about you. Wash the feet of those who persecute you. Serve. God said, I need you to serve. Another one, fourth one is obedience. Obedience. Now, I need you guys to listen to this real quick because this is epic. This, this is probably... The second most profound thing I say today, watch this. Obeying God can take you longer in life than not obeying God, amen? 
Obeying God can take you further along in life than not obeying God. That's, that's so epic. Three years of seminary taught me that. <laughs> obeying God would take you further in life than not obeying God. Let me just, let me say this. Partial obedience is still disobedience. If you partially obey God, it's still disobedience. Okay, God, I, I did it this way, but you know, I know you told me to do it this way. I just, I figured that it was less time consuming and it was just like, the, like, no, you're still disobedient. Partial obedience is still disobedience. And the last one, disciple others. How do you grow in a relationship with God? Read your Bible, pray, serve, have a lifestyle of obedience. And the fifth one is that you're called to disciple others, you know. I had to throw that in just because we're in our discipleship year, amen? But there's a beauty now. Let me tell you why. Those who've played sports and then transitioned to being a coach will oftentimes become a better player. Because you begin to look at technique and skills differently. As you coach other people, you're being sharpened because it requires you to dig in just a little bit deeper. It requires you to do things a little bit differently. It requires you to sit at different tables. It requires you to walk along with people to see where they are so you can bring them where God has called them to be. And discipling others, it basically, what it means that to be in community. <clears throat> To be in community with other believers. That's what the scripture says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, right? And when you disciple others, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of my growth in, in Christ has come in the, the form of community. Shameless plug for the marriage ministry. If you're not going, you want to grow your marriage, guess what? Get in community. We had 25 couples who took this challenge last year. 25 couples went out to Mary, uh, Myrtle, Myrtle Beach to make their marriage better. Not only has like just marriage ministry has helped my, my, my walk with Christ, but being a part of like the men's group and men's lock-in, you know, I know the ladies can testify. We had a women's, um, it was called at the well experience last year, year before last. One of those moments, I mean, the Shekinah glory dwelt in this place for days. I would say weeks. Like you felt it. Like the women who came to the women's ministry and they, you know, they had a, roughly almost 100 ladies come into our church. And they, the theme was the woman at the well. And they began to examine this lady's life and her posture, and how she met Christ, how Christ met her at the well. It's things like that that grow your faith. Because what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, if, if, all, if, if your Christianity is measured by a Sunday morning attendance, then God and the Christ's resurrection is not being lived the fullest out of your life. If all you're getting is this Sunday morning attendance with your walk with God, that's not enough. God has called us to be in community. That's why we have Wednesday night production or what we call Wednesday night community groups, C groups. 
And as we get to walk out this whole year of discipleship, guys, we're going to bring so many different things back to help you to to get into a place where you're growing and maturing in your faith. We're going to challenge you. And it's going to hurt. Because if it's challenged, you're going to have to require a change. And so we're going to have life groups at different houses all throughout multiple cities where we're going to ask you to get plugged in and be committed to that life group. That means we're going to need some life group homes, hostesses. Amen, church? I'm plugging right now. If you're catching it, say amen. amen. I'm, I'm just letting you know what's, what's coming. Amen. And guys, this is important. Life, doing life with believers would change your life. Relationship 101. So I'm going to ask a dear friend of mine to come to the stage because I want to kind of talk through some things about her walk with God over this past year or so. It's kind of like a Job experience. But I promise you, if it wasn't for her faith in Christ, I don't know what, how she would how she walk through what she walked through. Now, and as I was journeying with her, this process of just what this sickness, this illness had come upon her life unexpectedly, like the faith that she had was unmatched. Like she encouraged me. And I'm like, my God, how can you be so positive dealing with what you've been dealing with? She has not changed through the entire process. And so I'm going to ask Tiffany Sellers to come up. Number five, number five, number five. So those who don't know, um, this is Tiffany Sellers. I've known Tiffany 13 years or so, 15 years, something like that. Give or take a few, plus or minus. Um, I've known Tiffany for quite some time. I've, you know, I've seen her girls go from little, 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 and now they're like super big and just growing and um, amazing young son. I mean, just a bundle of joy, Jeff, the husband, like just coming from a, a, just a great family. And just Tiffany, just have a seat. Yeah, tell us about your journey a little bit. You want to stand? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm right off. No, you're good. You're good. So tell us about who you are for those who may not know Tiffany. Tell us who you are and then how, what's been going on in your life these past couple of 18, 16, 13 um, months? I guess to start with who I am, um, I'm Tiffany. Um, I, I'm a little nervous, I'm sorry. And then Ryan said, talking about fear today, and then he asked me to come up and talk in front of everyone, and it's not really my thing, but I'm gonna do my best. Um, I'm a mom of three, I'm a daughter. Um, my parents are here and my sister. Um, I was brought up in the church, and I'm a nurse, so just, you know, I, um, I'm sorry. So a year ago, well, I guess a little over a year, October of 2022, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, it was kind of at the end of the month, and then the 1st of December, 
I went through a double mastectomy. And at that time, they found a little more cancer than we had thought. So we knew that my journey was going to be long, but I guess wasn't, I wasn't completely prepared for it. However, I'll say in finding the cancer, all of it for me has been a God thing. Um, because I found the tumor myself. And I mean, really the whole time, God just, he's been beside me. He showed me. Um, I got into doctors very quickly. Just everything kind of fell into place very quickly for me, um, which was a true blessing. So, um. no. So tell us your journey, because I believe it was your faith all along um, that kind of kept you where you are today. So um, there was the diagnosis, there was the surgery, and then. A month later after my surgery, I started chemotherapy, um, which obviously, as you guys can see, um, kind of took its toll. I lost my hair and some, um, it was just, it was hard on my body. Um, but the entire time, you know, and then I had radiation and I continued with immunotherapy, which I finished this past Monday, so I'm done. <laughs> um, even when I had really bad days and I was calling my mom because I had just had to shave my head and I had this rash that was all over my body that was almost like birds. So, you know, it was almost disfiguring. Um, and I'm crying to my mom and I'm in the car and my little boy in the back says, but mommy, you're, you're beautiful. And it was just kind of out of nowhere. And I just was like, okay, God, thank you. That was you. And then I started looking for those little things where God constantly showed up for me. And it was in those little voices. It was in um, my hairdresser telling me, you're beautiful. I love you. I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. It was in my mom and dad telling me that. My sister that were showing up for me all the time. It was just, God was showing up constantly in just these little things. And you know, we all expect, or I did, growing up in the church, I would hear people talk about, <laughs> you know, I hear people all the time, like God talked to me, God came to me, and I, I wasn't getting that in my walk. I really, you know, I didn't, I'm like, well, God, He's talking to me all the time. And everybody's little, just little, that still small voice. Like, no, I'm not, God's not coming in with this big voice to me. This is what you're going to do today. But it's just those little, and the smiles on people's faces. And just the calls from, or texts from Cassie and Brian saying, we're thinking of you guys. And I mean, it's just those little things that God constantly was showing up for me. How can I be mad about this journey? It just is what it is. He gave me, I mean, I was faced with this, but he absolutely never put it aside, not for one second. And again, it was cool.
there's a few things that seminary doesn't prepare you for. It's calls where you receive like Tiffany, where I learned that she has cancer or pastor, I've been diagnosed with this. Like school doesn't prepare you for that. And I'm like, God, how do you, how do you walk with somebody who's going through this and show empathy and that you love them and you're willing to do whatever? Like, how do you know? And every, every, every family's different, right? Some family wants you to be there every single time. Some family wants their, their space. And it's like, how do you begin to navigate through the complexity of what, what's taking place but show that, you, that you're there with them, that your, your church family's there with you. And, and walking with Tiffany and Jeff through this process, you know, their family has just been amazing. And this has been Tiffany's posture for ever since she started this journey for the past 16 months or seven, 13 months or so. And I was looking at a text message I was reading um, early on, this is maybe 13 months ago. And I was just reading in Tiffany's encouragement, like she was encouraging me. And she was saying that, um, like God has her. She didn't say anything about dying or anything like that. She's like, this is part of my story. And I'm like, Tiff, how did you go through this? And I talked with Jeff and I'm waiting in the waiting room as she's going back to you know, have surgery and things. And Jeff is just as positive and the girls are still doing their thing. And I'm like, man. And the one thing that I'm reminded that it goes back to her faith. Like she grew up in the church. Like she was, one of those kids running around in the sanctuary probably, <laughs> right? And Tiffany, not for one second did you even doubt God. And if you did, you doubt him for a second, but then you pull back and like, God, I trust you anyways. And so tell me about how your family and how you just as, not just from you, but how your family kind of walked through this as well because they're affected because you're affected. Other people don't. And so could they handle 
job aim to, um, you know, I grew up, I had an aunt who was diagnosed with breast cancer around the same age that I was, um, which is kind of how we knew that I was at a higher risk, and she didn't, it destroyed an entire family, my dad's son doesn't always speak to one another because she saw it as more or less she was punished or punished, right. yeah. And it's not because again, this is just I can't use this to glorify God because, like I said, He never left me, and I mean, it was a constant. Just I don't even. I really don't know how to just tell you how, just little things, like the smile on someone's face, that's how he let me know he was there. It wasn't like this big, and how Leslie mentioned, um, you know, sometimes you just want God to hold you, and he can, he's always there. Like, I've always had this vision when things bad happen, you know, how the woman just wanted to touch the him, like my mind goes there, like I just, I'm going to reach out and touch like my ultimate one day when I do make it to heaven my whole thing is I just want to crawl up his arms and lay my head on his chest like a child does and that's kind of where when things went bad that's where I went I went to the arms of God I curled up in his arms what words of encouragement will you give somebody today or who's watching online like if they're going through a situation like you're going through, just, just going through life as a believer, what words of encouragement would you give them? I mean, he's, he's always there. And you just have to be willing to reach out for him. I guess that's the biggest thing. And like Ryan said, you turn to the Bible, you turn to other people. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of talking to God, not even just prayer, just like, I'm driving down the road and I'm talking. Um, and so, I mean, it's just, and again, you don't have to have a prayer. All you have to do is just start talking. You don't even have to be talking to anybody. If you don't want to, you can just talk to the air until you realize that no, talking to God is there. And that's kind of, you know, sometimes we don't think he wants to hear from us. So just start, start the conversation. Guys, Tiffany has, this is not a normal thing for Tiffany. Like she's so far out her comfort zone right now. Yes. And I just wanna thank you for taking the, the, the step of faith and confidence and obedience to where God has asked you to do something. Like you went out. Like Tiffany went to Cincinnati this year, you know, and celebrated with Follow and kind of did some, she was doing registration. Like Tiffany, like, don't discount what God can do based on your situation. Because there's a story in there for someone. And so, and I know as I look out through the, the, the church, we have several cancer survivors that's present here today. God is still writing your story. God is still writing Tiffany's story. And I just want to publicly thank you and your family for remaining faithful. Because oftentimes in this situation, 
people will pull back and get missing, but you, you desire to stay present even in the midst of your sickness. And church, let's just give their family just a round of applause for what God is doing. Um, any lasting words you want to say before? She says no. All right, give me a hug. Give me a hug. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Tiffany. As our worship team make their way back to the stage, what we realize what God was doing in Tiffany's life was that he was turning some things around. And maybe you are at that point in your life where you need God to turn some things around. Maybe you want God to do some things in your life that you've been asking and praying and seeking God and God just hasn't moved. God didn't speak to Job until chapter number 38. Hold on. You may be in chapter 37 of your life right now. You're one chapter away from your breakthrough. Come on, let me say that one time. You're one chapter away from your breakthrough. So my prayer for you today as we stand and close this, sing this last closing song is that you remain faithful to God, that your relationship with him means more than anything else. Your relationship with God, this is one-on-one, so your foundation of your relationship is, is foundational. So wherever you are, your relationship with God is more important than your, your spouse. It's more important than your children. It's more important than your family. It's number one. And so if you don't know that you have that relationship with Christ, I'm going to ask that you come forward during this song. And some of our leaders will pray with you. We'll walk you through the prayer of salvation because we want to know that you know that you have salvation in your heart, in your mind, that you know it, that you are going to be in heaven with Christ. And so as we begin to say, God, turn it around, begin to, to praise it out, shout it out. God, I want you to turn my situation around. I want you to turn my family dynamics around. God, I want you to turn some things around in my life, God, for your good. Because God did it for Abraham and Job and, and Jeremiah. I mean, all of those great prophets and those, those leaders in the Bible, even those normal people, though God has turned some things around, he can do it in your life. Today is your day. Today is your chapter 38. God wants to turn it around. So Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day. Guys, we praise your holy name. Guys, we sing out from the mountains, God, that you can turn some things around. God, that is our mantra. That is our, our prayer. That is our, our, our cry for you this evening, God, this afternoon. God, will you turn it around? God, will you begin to turn my marriage around? God, will you begin to turn my finances around? God, will you begin to turn my sickness, my illness, God, my health? God, will you begin to change some things in my life, God, for your glory and your good? God, turn it around. And God, I have the desire to be like Job, God, that I will praise you anyhow, God, even if you don't turn it around, God, that I will still praise your holy name. Father, today, 
we know that you can do it. Because you tell us, God, that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. God, turn it around. God, I walk a new life today, God, because you told me, God, that I am a new creation. God, turn it around. God, we give it all to you to you this morning. Because you died for it. You sent your only begotten son. Heavenly Father, do what only you can do. God, our God, I pray that for those that have courage to step to the altar, to receive salvation, to receive healing, to receive deliverance. Have your way, oh God. We love you. We thank you. It's in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, we say amen. for listening to audio from One Church. If you made a decision of any kind today or would like to learn more about what your next step is, visit onechurchnc.net. If you are local to our campus, claim your visit online at onechurchnc.net slash visit.